Good evening Instagrammers and welcome to Twitter Chatter with the author Tara Kaushal on her book Why Men Read. Tara's passion for social equality and fair treatment of all people led her to explore gender sexuality, equal rights and other views. As the growing conversations about sexual violence is getting more meaningful and nuanced, Tara is one of the voices at its forefront and we are glad to have her on our Insta Live. And ask her all about this book and many more things, how she got into journalism and what is her next book all about because this is something which is very well received. And please people who have not ordered this book, guys, girls, please do order it, read it. Trust me, it's going to move you and show you the psychology part which we always question when we see cases and we're like, why men read? This has a lot of your answers. So let's send a request to Tara and start our chit chat. Hello everyone and welcome to join us again for this chit chat. While I wait for her, hello Mahadev, hello Siddharth. Hi Sukinder, Sukjinder. Hi Tara. Hi Shweta, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. I was, I was listening to it and thank you for the very... A very passionate uh, recommendation of the book. Thank you. You're welcome. It is something I think we should thank you for writing because this is a question for every time we read a tweet about a rape or that's the first question we ask, like why men rape? That's a standard thing, be it a kid or be it an old lady or anybody who's watching questions. And I think this book answers a lot of those answers. You know, that why is this happening in the society? It is not like how people just say, you know, oh, it's the girl's fault or this and that. There's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, I mean, I'm glad that you said that the first question you ask is why do men rape? But actually in society, the first question they ask is how long was her skirt? Kis ke thi? Was she drinking? So um, I think it's important at the at the outset to put the onus back where it belongs which is on the perpetrators of violence and not the victims or the women who feel like prey so tell me this book why men rape and you know like it's an indian undercover like you've literally been an undercover journalist and investigated so much but how did the thought germinate like what made you feel like okay you know this is a book that i want to write so there's a long answer, which actually yeah. starts from... Yeah, not short of time. So you can go ahead and <laughs> Okay, so I was raped as a four or five-year-old by my gardener. But because my parents didn't know about this, um, it impacted nothing in my life. Okay, at least, I mean, uh, in my lifestyle, of course, there are, economic, uh, there are emotional damages that I'm dealing with and we all deal with. Um, but... When I moved from what are considered safe spaces, which are naval bases where I grew up, to, to um, NOIDA as civilians, at that point, my parents became inordinately obsessed with, you know, how long uh, my hemlines were, my deadlines. And I think at 12, as a baby feminist, I started asking a question that resulted in this book 25 years later which is why should the actions of men impact my life and why can't they stop 
why should i be protected you know um of course that's the long answer and it continues it's something that impacted my first write my first writings all of them were about gender violence um but truly the more recent catalyst was the delhi gang rape and when that happened in december 2012 i like the rest of the country was really impacted by it but i used to be the girl who traveled to delhi university by bus 10 years before so to me i was like hey that could have been me and also nothing's changed you know 10 years ago i would get molested and now some now somebody has been raped and murdered in a delhi bus so um i think that's when i started working on this book um which by which i mean for four years i read on gender violence i didn't know enough so all i did was read for four years and plan the project and what i would be doing and eventually i took it on full time in um april 2017 that's the long answer <laughs> so tell me you know you have interviewed people from all the sectors of the society i mean you know there is every place be it um, and every profession and it may not have been an easy task so you know to get hold of them to make them speak because some of them were very proud what i understood like it, they were proud of what they've done and some of them still shied away and you had to get it out of them so how did what was the journey like if you could tell us a little about it so once i decided that the way i was going to do this was go undercover and spend time with men who have raped The first thing I did was, you know, how do you find these men? So I asked my friends on Facebook, and it wasn't something I understood then. Uh, but later, I, I, as I studied for this book, I realized that gender violence follows class lines, which means that contrary to the Shakti Kapoor idea of rapist, which is some stranger lurking in the bushes, it's actually um, the more a women get preyed upon by men of their class and above. So what happened then is when I looked or spoke to women from our social class, all the men that I found were from our social class. Now, while I don't want to overrepresent the Shakti Kapoor idea of rapist, these Me Too type of men are also not representative of, of India. Two. So um, I chose two men from the upper social class in my book. This class is called Wolves in Sheep's Clothing. and the rest from um middle and lower classes as well to me finding those kind of men men out of our social class was much harder because i didn't know their victims i had no access so for this i approached the police i approached detective agencies i approached um local media ngos the works but finally managed um nine men of various classes i believe that men of all classes rape of all straighters just the factors that enable them the factors that play are different according to social class and i think what i mean by that is to say when you talk of um the uppermost section of society as an example these men they have trust they have the means and the opportunity 
uh, motive of course say you are a rapist and you're interested in in violating someone they have means and motive a uh, means and opportunity far more than men of lower classes so um yeah i think that's how i chose these and that's why i chose men from all these various classes you know like you mentioned it's like somewhere um, in your childhood you were um, raped and there was an emotional damage to it and you know it stayed with you and you had to work on that like you really have to work on that and because it was not mentioned so it didn't become actually a major part of your life you know because usually people also have this tendency they go on rubbing it in you by going on talking to you about it but at the same time it's something that you witness you went through and you had to heal yourself by yourself to you grow up you know and mm-hmm. now you are talking to these people who are i mean you know like um, just the thought of talking is getting me choked and you are actually talking to them so how would you normalize yourself after having a word with them because i'm sure me reading the book made me furious you were there right there talking to them and you know knowing at times that they are lying on your face knowing that they are so how did you normalize yourself how did you act at that point to let them talk so there has to be a filter okay and i think going undercover even though i didn't do it for my own mental health i did it because it was the only way um to get people to talk to me um uh, i feel that pretending to be someone else created a filter between the persona that i was playing and what they were saying and what this persona was saying and what i was actually feeling so um in that sense while i was inside obviously cringing and shocked and you know angry and upset at all the things that were being said by these men part of me was had to be open and receptive because otherwise it defeated the purpose um of doing what i was doing but part of me had to sit there and say ha aur bataiye aur phir kya hua you know but this is not this fracture this fracture is is something that is clearly something i i bear within me so in the in the process of the creation of the book i got depressed twice once um in december 2017 where on the one hand women were coming to me and telling me their stories like at parties at a tile shop you know oh you want to talk about oh you're writing this book about rape but i was raped and then so it was i was getting stories like this everywhere and on the other hand to show empathy and understanding to the men that i had set out to study um so in by december 2017 i had an emotional breakdown <clears throat> likewise in july um july august 2018 but that was also because my mother in law passed away so it was a very complex emotional time and then i've been okay but i realized in the lockdown that a lot of the stuff that i had buried is clearly there and um i mean it happened recently a couple of months ago where i got locked in my bedroom the lock malfunctioned and i was inside and my spouse my dearly beloved spouse was outside trying to open the door and banging and doing something with the lock and i was howling inside and he's like dude 
what are you upset about? And I guess I was triggered. So this is stuff that exists and it's, it's stuff that I'm working through now with my um, therapist. But at that point, I think when I, at the moment that I was with these men, I didn't, I was in character. I was in the flow. I was very determined to get what I had set, set out to get from them. In your book, there is also a narration where you saw the red flags and luckily you went with your intuition, you know, so I'm sure you saw red flags quite often and you had to be very attentive of it. So when you would see something like this and it would trigger, how would you gather your strength and, you know, go ahead with it or, you know, overcome your intuition? Because that one story was like, you know, like, if you were not aware, there was so much more that could have happened. So how were you, you know, it's like, I mean, there's a point where you are hearing a story. At the same time, you're being attentive to witness if there's any red flags happening where you're concerned because you need to even protect yourself, though you are an undercover and whatever, because you were by yourself there. So the emotion that triggered at that time, how did you overcome those red flags? Well, so I think when you're undercover and you're playing a character, you are hyper aware. And also, I'm a woman interviewing men who have raped. I mean, it, it's not, you know, protectionism is one thing. We say that, you know, girls shouldn't even go on the street because they, they're of the many men there. They would possibly encounter um, someone who, who was interested in, in um, sexually violating them. But here I was, I was seeking out these people. So you do have to be hyper aware. And I think my intuition has always served me well, like my whole life. Um, so the incident that you're talking about, the one in Jammu, um, in Katua, I knew very well that this man was trying to trap me in, in his village. So it was something I just got, um, once I realized the story and once, I'm also really smart. So apart from the intuition, I was like, hey, listen, don't, don't try this with me. So he was trying to orchestrate that I spend the night in his village, in his house. And I was like, no, no, I need to get the story and I need to be out of here. So um, there is a lot of, there's excitement in escaping this. But as my father-in-law constantly tells me, he's like, you give yourself all this credit, you know, that you escaped and you have intuition and you have intelligence. You know, and I think, but nothing happened and I'm here and uh, the book's out and we're having this conversation. But yeah, I think just being hyper aware, aware of safety. And I think, you know, women in general spend so much of our time and that's the premise of this book. We spend so much of our time and energy preoccupied with safety. Should I go here? Who's going to pick me up? Should I go to this party? Should I drink? Every one of our decisions, whether to go to a further away college, because you know you may not have a bus that gets you there, or whether you can go exercise on the beach at 7 p.m. All of these questions are underscored by safety. So we we do spend a lot of our time thinking of safety in any case. And this was just an extension of that. 
you know i'm sure when you were hearing the stories of the rapists you were furious but you were also proud when you met the survivors who have survived and you know and um, are there today fighting the taboo at the same time you know telling people how to take care how, how you know to be because i think being a survivor is not easy be it a rape survivor or an asset survivor because it's not only the trauma that you've gone through but also even today the society doesn't let you live you know it's like a very um large spectrum that you have to take care of you have to be by yourself so how was it interviewing the survivors and meeting them so i think um you know when i talk about privilege i need to talk about how deep it cuts so not only does privilege prevent women of a certain class from experiencing as much gender violence as a dalit woman who's at the intersection of lower caste and poverty and and um a lack of education and of course being a woman so you face a lot less violence but i also have to say being privileged i don't i have never faced victim blaming or shaming maybe on twitter you know like when i came out with my me too story one of the reactions i from a troll on twitter was and how many men have used you since i remember this particular comment i'm like i'm talking about being violated and you're talking about um my sexual agency these are two completely different things so um i feel i've had the privilege to deal with sexual trauma without shame and honor and those kind of things but where you're at the intersection of as i said dalit poor village woman whatever where you where you're at the intersection of oppression not only do you face more sexual trauma you also have less abilities to um to deal with it mm. and then there's shame and honor that your family feels that you feel that rested in your vagina um you you think that it will impact your marriage prospects and all of these many intersections of um of things that prevent you from dealing with trauma that anyway you have many many more fold than um you know privileged women so i've been really privileged like that but having said that despite how woke my parents were despite how liberal they were i didn't tell them that i had been raped by the gardener for 12 years i told them when i was 16 or something so i don't think kids have the this again i reiterate my mom told me about periods when i was 5 or 6 years old my father gave me a book when i was 12 called what you Uh, everything you ever wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask so i come from a really liberal family but despite that i was unable to tell them and so i kids don't have a lot knowledge kid or language or uh, kids are also very self centered so you do carry blame and now of course i realize that a 4 year old no matter how short her skirt or her dress can carry no blame but these are not things that i had arrived at by that point 
Um, so I told, I told my parents when I was 16. Um, but yeah, survivors, you're asking about surviving, but I will also tell you that I have met survivors in various stages of healing from various classes. Um, and they're all on different journeys. Some have used it to make it a positive experience, to, uh, you know. Um, others have still consider themselves victims. Um, all I will say is that all survivors that I have met, no matter what stage they're at in their healing journey, all of them consider the moment of being sexually violated a pivotal moment in their life. Whatever they've done with it. Whatever you, I mean, some of them have, some of us have gone and written books. Uh, Vinta Nanda is making a movie on Me Too. Um, a lot of people have used it in positive ways. Um, my friend who I mentioned in the book, um, who was raped by the doctor and has be become paraplegic, is one of, I mean, she wanted to be wealthy. That was what happened to her. She decided that wealth was the only thing that would protect her. So it's, however you deal with it, it is pivotal. And I feel that a man's moment of orgasm does not, a man does not have the right to change a woman's life for one moment of orgasm. That's ridiculous. So and it needs to that one moment that just changes everything and for what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for what? For what? So since we mentioned Twitter and, you know, um, you have been talking about this and, you know, everything. There's a time today where you also go through a lot of trolling, be it on Twitter and the right, the freedom of speech. Like when you are having a point of view, it's not taken well by many people, you know, and they don't take it and you've been trolled, like you mentioned. So how do you handle that on daily basis? Because I'm sure when the book was released or even now for that matter, I keep following your tweets and, you know, when the current situation is going on and you tweet something, which is your point of view and which is very correct always but there is also another section because there's always a section when you know there are two sections that always contradict each other and they don't respect your point of view and they troll you they're not just saying something they don't have a explanation to you know maybe you're wrong or whatever they're just trolling you how do you handle that on daily basis you know there's a reason i smile through that conversation um so i do get trolled but what I feel very strongly is that the trolls don't realize that they were forever part of my marketing plan. So there's something called the Streisand effect. Again, the Streisand effect is the, it comes from Barbara Streisand, but basically it is the idea that if you try and suppress something, it can often backfire and push that thing forward. Okay. And it, it this happened, it's called the Streisand effect because Barbara Streisand tried to get one particular guy to remove a picture of her house and he was taking some aerial photography. And as a result, all his other pictures got only some three views and the picture of Barbara Streisand's house because she had made such a big deal of it got some... And 
you know, every time they come to my videos um, and they're saying stuff like, you know, false rape complain and men too and the, the usual stuff. I want to thank them for not only being so predictable with these very uh, inane arguments that I can easily dispel, but also to keep the engagement going, man. The more people read my book, the better it is for me. So it's, so I like the trolls. I enjoy them. Um, and I, I think if you can't beat them, use them. Wow. I have to highlight this for the Instagrammers. If you can't beat them, use them. Make positive out of negative. Yeah, absolutely. If life give you, gives you trolls, make publicity, dude. So it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's my agenda. I love the trolls. So they were... They behave exactly the way I want to, want them to. I, I make stories out of their inane conversations. Uh, I have a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and it's great for my ego, right? Because beyond a point, they can't argue this false rape complaint. They, these are not logical things to argue. So it's great. Some days I have a lot of fun. <laughs> so... You have also mentioned the cinema and the media coverage and all of that, how that influences too. And that is something that nobody will ever mention. Like I said, you know, people will say, why men rape? They will say, why was she wearing this? Why was that happening? But they will never mention the fact that how cinema influences, how the media coverage influences people. But you have tapped that and that's a very important part of the book again. So... How was it? I mean, you know, like that section, I was like, yeah, that's so true. And we don't even pay heed to it. So how did you, you know, like, I'm sure there's a lot of research and all, but how did you think of that segment? Because it's something that happens, but you really don't give much awareness to it. So to me, Bollywood or criticizing Bollywood and the role that Indian um, films play was a fairly easy task, okay? People, lots of people have done their research about it and their theses. We have discussed to death what nana karte pyar tumhi se kar What does that mean? That normalizes stalking on, in the guise of love and Eve teasing. What else does it mean? So I, um, I think the Bollywood chapter was easy. Um, there's a lot of research on this and I, I think I've just communicated that research to the readers in a palatable form in this book. What is more interesting to me was the news media aspect. Um, not much research and not much, um, not much thought is paid to how media coverage impacts or influences rape. And that's something that I really wanted to bring to the forefront. Because on the one hand, you can say that it's great, you know, media coverage on rape has increased fourfold since the Delhi gang rape of 2012. But episodic media coverage has a lot of negatives and in fact increases rape. Now there's a concept called contagion, which has been studied about how the media... <coughs> Um, by watching stuff about violence or suicide on the media, it makes a lot of copycat cases also happen. This is not discussed too much when it comes to sexual violence, but it is true. 
the other thing it does is if you talk about news media it also changes the muddies the water when it comes to consent if for instance that is rape what happened with jyoti singh pande is what is rape ki you know char men in a bus rape plus murder heinous <coughs> sorry then it doesn't allow people to understand ki you know a little pushing and shoving a little forcing your wife on on um, you know on your suhagra all of that is also rape it deadens our palates it confuses the idea of consent so i think my media chapter was um was more uh, cutting edge in that sense and in fact everything that has happened with riya chakravarti um since is something that i predicted and talked about in the book that that was released before all of the media uh, thing it was all predicted how we what what trial by media does what all of this uh, you know yellow journalism causes i it was it's in the book and it's clearly played out in the last few months so you know i have to say i can go on about this book because and uh, I, i couldn't like i wanted to read it i didn't want to keep it down but at the same time it made me furious at so many points it made me curious at so many points that i had to take it slow because there was you know it was like if i had a question at some point you were answering it at some point it was like as if you know you knew what the reader is looking out for and this book has been really appreciated and you know i'm so happy that you've joined us live and you've answered all our questions but already harper collins is working with you on another book so you know before we end our live would you want to give us a little introduction about it so uh, the second book i'm co-writing with my best friend and senior journalist somya rajaram it's about um the rape and murder of 25 year old neha sharma who was a phd scholar um in agra and she was raped and murdered uh in on the 5th i was trying to calculate back how many years it's been seven and a half years so she was raped and murdered on the 15th of march 2013 and we're somya and i are just following this case um to look at the other side because one of the things that happened during me too was people saying you know people law ke paas jao na follow due process what are you doing why are you coming to the court of social media and through this case i want to investigate what law actually means what justice in india in in this country actually means so it's very easy for everyone to say why are you coming to the court of social media but seven and a half years that later that case is still in a fast track court no one's received justice and um yeah so that's something that i want to look that somya and i are looking into through this book and we're looking forward for that book too and uh, we are looking forward for a live session too after the book releases absolutely i've had a great time thank you for having me thank you tara for joining us live and uh, enlightening us on so many things and all you instagrammers if you haven't read this book please go download from on your kindle or your ibook or purchase it on amazon but this is something be the guy be the girl you need to read 
So thank you, Tara, once again, and hope to catch up with you soon and keep the good work going. Thanks so much, Vertha. Bye, everyone. Thanks for watching.